Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm Brian, the UK Bitcoin Master. It's really great to have you here. Uh, Just a brief explanation before we get into the podcast in earnest. Uh, I've taken the MP3 from my YouTube uh, videos that I've done over the last few years and created them into podcast form. Now, what you'll notice through the podcast is that uh, on my YouTube channel, I clearly refer to articles that I'm showing on the live stream, which of course you're not going to be able to see on this podcast. So do take that as is, but enjoy the podcast nevertheless. Do check out my YouTube channel, ukbitcoinmaster.com. You'll find all the Bitcoin videos I've done to date. And also bitcoininterviews.com is where you'll find all the interviews that I've done with some of the greatest thought leaders in the Bitcoin space since I've been uh, live streaming. Uh, You can also check me out on Twitter, library.tv, BitChute, DTube, Facebook, and Instagram, all at UK Bitcoin Master or forward slash UK Bitcoin Master. Finally, if you enjoy the content, please tweet it out on your Twitter uh, channel so that we can get ears on these podcasts. So thanks for being here. Enjoy the podcast. I think we're live, aren't we? Yeah. Well, Hello everyone, this is Brian here, the UK Bitcoin Master, back trying again for the second time on the 22nd of August to um, do my interview with Vlad. Um, For those of you that logged in early, you know we had some major difficulties, it simply wouldn't work. So this is a recording that I've thrown up on a YouTube premiere. So... um, as always, thanks for being here, although it's on a premiere. Um, the, um, the live chat is open, so pound the like button, do what you need to do, all the normal stuff. I'm going to go through my normal paraphernalia, but I don't know whether this will work, so I'm going to try it. Um, and that is firstly, yes, uh, my disclaimer is, guys, I don't give financial advice, so don't take any of this. As financial advice, it is just me expressing my opinion after two and a bit years down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. So do your own research. Um, Go down the rabbit hole. Only buy what you can afford to lose. Only buy it if it feels right for you. Don't let anyone entice you to get into crypto in any way. It must be your decision. That's my disclaimer out the way. Uh, You can find all my videos at ukbitcoinmaster.com. Everyone I've ever done on YouTube, along with, whoops, wrong button there. Hold on a second. I'm going back to front. Um, Along with bitcoininterviews.com, where you'll find all my interviews like this one, providing this works okay. Um, So, disclaimer out the way, those out the way. Finally, if you want to leave a tip, you can do it at tipping.me. I don't want to put Vlad through all this lot again, so let's get that out of the way right now. And I'd like to welcome uh, Vlad Costa. Oh, yeah, you got that right. Costa. Yeah, Costa, like uh, Costa, Costa, Costa to the call, Vlad. Welcome, exactly. welcome to the show. Finally, great to have you with us. It's great that you got it right, like the fifth <laughs> time or something. But yeah. I'm happy that I get to be here, and I'm happy that I finally get invited to interviews. Before I worked for Bitcoin Magazine, nobody really cared. Uh, right, okay, so at the moment you're not coming onto the screen, so I need to check out why you're not coming onto the screen because people definitely need to see you, don't they? Hold on, 
Um, you can just switch for a split screen. Yeah, okay, hold on then. Because uh, Zoom shows the image of the person who has the louder microphone. So I guess my microphone is not loud enough and I just turned off the game. Yeah, yeah, well, you're showing on Zoom. That's okay now. So um, providing you're coming up on this Zoom um, recording, Vlad, we're okay. Um, so as I said, um, welcome to my show, Vlad. Um, this is the Bitcoin for Beginners show. And what I aim to do with um, my guests is to help... To, get them to help me to bring it down to grassroots for those that are new to the new to Bitcoin or thinking of getting into Bitcoin. So I tend to want my viewers to, you know, hear about people's background, how they got into it, you know, that type of thing. You know, I leave the technical analysis and the charts and everything else to the other shows that are way more technical than I am. I will say right now, I don't understand charts. I don't understand TA. I'm not into any of that stuff. I've just got, you know, I've, I've gone through 60 years on this earth with the belief that if it feels right in your gut, you just know it. So my gut instinct never really lets me down uh, too much. So to start the show, Vlad, if I can, maybe you'd be kind enough just to maybe tell our audience a little bit about your background before you got into Bitcoin, you know, when you discovered it, you know, and you know, when you saw it. You know, what were your first impressions? I, I know you did this on Adam's show, but I want people to hear what you said on Adam's show on my show, because I really enjoyed that interview. So tell us a little bit about your background before Bitcoin, how you discovered it, what, what happened in the early days, Vlad. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell the same exact story which I told on Adam's show, because it goes way back. And I was a student in political science. I was around 21 or 22 when I first heard about Bitcoin, and that was around 2013. And around the time the Bitcoin as a market valuated asset was in the middle of a bear market. And there was this meme which I found on a website which I was checking out at the time. It's called 9gag, but if you haven't heard of it, you're not missing out anything. I was just a lazy student just wasting time on the internet. And... I saw this meme with somebody like a burglar, somebody who went to a person and said, give me your wallet. I want to take all of your money. And the person who was being robbed basically said, I don't have any money. I just have Bitcoins. And the burglar felt so emotional about the situation that he gave the person some cash <laughs> as a way of showing compassion. Because around the time, Bitcoin was losing a lot of value in relation to the USD. And... Unlike the last bear market, which we saw when we knew that there was something massive happening to Bitcoin and the price is going to come back at some point, around the time there was no certainty. And I was in university doing political science and I basically had my brain washed to believe in whatever the government narrative is and yeah. to become a good civil servant because basically that's what political science schools do. And when I first heard about Bitcoin, it was because of the Silk Road. And I read the news about Ross Ulbricht and how they caught him and how they framed him to be this modern-day Billy the Kid or something. Yeah, yeah. And around the time, I just looked at it and said, this is not for me. I don't see the value proposition of this. I don't really understand. But at the same time, 
I was only reading mainstream media sources like the Wall Street Journal and The Economist and whatever. They were encouraging us to read at university. And it wasn't until very late in early 2017 that I got interested. And it wasn't exactly one of the good reasons why you should be using Bitcoin. And those are censorship resistance and unconfiscatability and the ability to basically transact with anyone around the world without any kind of registration. So it doesn't matter if you're the best citizen of the world or if you're a convicted criminal, you can still make economic transactions no matter what because nobody can restrict your economic rights, at least not in Bitcoin. Whereas in the world of banking, they can just shut down your accounts and prevent you from even buying medicine that may help you survive for another week or something. But anyway, around the time when I got into Bitcoin, I was just concerned about the inflation of the national currency of Romania. And I started making some money and I was thinking of saving. And when I realized how much I'm actually losing by holding fiat, I was looking for something much more interesting and Bitcoin was starting to really increase in price yeah yeah but the mistake which i made around the time was that i saw it as a very speculative short-term activity so when i was saying that i have about a ten dollar profit i would just get on the exchange and just close the deal (laughs) it's going down at some point so i should be cautious yeah so So, it's interesting what you say because you know, what you said a few minutes ago, it's like in the UK, we say, you know, we buy into the 40 year plan. You're told to go to school, get a good education, you know, work hard, get a good job, keep your nose clean. And at the end of it, if you're lucky, you retire early with a gold watch. You know, we're sold this, this, this um, dream, if you want to call it that, by governments, you know, and, and something you said, you know, the governments, we will take care of you. We will look after you. And it's like, just total baloney, if I'm absolutely honest. I just picked up on that. We just say it slightly different here in the UK. So when you first um, bought some Bitcoin then, what was the shift? Obviously, you said you got some and it's like, well, this is going to go down. So let's get out and make a bit of a profit. What changed? When did it all change and you realized that, hey, something's going on here? I think it was around the time when I saw that I was basically getting wrecked and I was a terrible trader. Yep. That's just not for me. I'm bad at handling emotions. And when I was trading, uh, I could not sleep at night. I, I just had to look at charts. <laughs> and There was this crazy state of mind, which I had thinking, okay, let's see what China does. Now it should be 9 a.m. in China and they should start trading. So let's see what they do. And then let's see what happens in the United States and what happens in Europe. And I didn't get much sleep around the time and I lost much more than I earned because I was thinking. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because what I teach on my channel and I really try and drum this home on my channel is don't trade. If you trade, you will sit up all night, you'll be stressed to hell and there's nothing finer, nothing simpler, nothing easier than buying getting off onto your trezor and then getting on with life, enjoying your family, doing what you do in life and just wait it out. And 
trading, honestly, and I've, there's several things I've tried in my life. One of them was property or real estate, and it was too stressful for me. It freaked me out. It made me ill. I could never switch off from it. And I think traders, you're right. They just sit up all night. And that's certainly not for me. And I obviously gained it's not for you either. Oh, I, I agree. But people usually, you know, it, it's that first experimentation that you do as a young person and you think maybe that this is for me maybe that i get lucky and i do this incredible trade and then retire at the age of 25 or something yeah <laughs> and don't we all wish that you know that's the dream isn't it but uh, you know what i've yeah, come to you, you see this people in magazines and everywhere about how they got this perfect trade and then they got rich but in order for you to actually get that insanely and obscenely rich about 90 percent of the people who trade need to lose yep absolutely um it's interesting because when i first got into it some of the um people i started to follow i don't i, I no longer follow uh, and i've come to realize that you know they and we probably all know who they are but they were selling subscriptions to their you know weekly newsletter or whatever it is and we'll give you you know a heads up so you get in at the ahead of the game and stuff and my brain started to think <clears throat> how much money are they making simply on people's subscriptions and just decided that those types of people i just didn't want to follow i wanted to follow people that would talk to me about <clears throat> the bitcoin uh, Bitcoin, where it's come from, why, you know, I've read the, the, the books, you know, um, Bitcoin Standard, or actually I've, I've done it on Audible and listened because I'm a listener. Um, <clears throat> and they're the people I ended out migrating to, Trace Mayer, Giacomo Zucco, I know you've had him on your podcast, which is awesome. Um, um, Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, Tone Vase for a while, but I did feel that Tone went slightly negative, actually. But what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is I just found a my group of people that I wanted to follow to get the right information for me because I realized trading wasn't for me. So um, in terms of Bitcoin then, so, you know, when you started realizing you were getting wrecked, were there any catalysts that made you... Was there a point, you know, an epiphany, whatever, where you thought, I need to start stacking sats? Well, we didn't say it back then, but I need to start accumulating Bitcoin. Was there any specific event that you can remember where you thought, I need to make some changes? I think it was around the time when I saw the bear market starting. And I was starting to also understand the value proposition of it. Yep. As... You can understand that there are some institutions getting in and you think in terms of why would they do this? And then you also try to see how the world is switching to this digital method of payments and maybe that we get to talk about this also yeah. and how Bitcoin is much more akin real cash because it's more anonymous than having a bank account. And it prevents that sort of arbitrary censorship that banks will do. Yep. Just because uh, I see right now in the United States that sometimes they close bank accounts and social media accounts of people who express maybe controversial political views. And that kind of future is not very far away for the rest of us. Mm. 
eventually yeah. will either converge into this type of culture where we establish what is popular and what should be said and what should never be said in public. And that will guarantee that you have a functional series of services that you get and you can access. And I guess Bitcoin is also useful for people who believe in free speech and human rights. Yeah. No, no, I agree with that. So I guess that there's a question there. I put up, you know, how do you see Bitcoin's future? You know, what do you see Bitcoin achieving around what you've just said? I mean, for me, you know, listen, I've got to say this. I'm a regular guy. I don't understand a lot of what you understand, you know, but I do feel that Bitcoin is going to be the future in terms of store of value. Um, I, I don't know how cash is going to work. I think that's going to be the second layer of solutions, etc. How do you see Bitcoin playing out, you know, bearing in mind you're a lot younger than me, over the next maybe decade or so, you know, and beyond? How do you see the world changing because of Bitcoin? I think nation states will adapt to it. And maybe that in this regard, I will be using my background in political science. And it's interesting to see that right now there is a trend of countries accepting taxes in Bitcoin, but not specifically in Bitcoins because they don't have a wallet to accept it. They just ask you to pay a certain percentage of the valuation from the time when you receive it. Yep. And they allow maybe companies to pay in it. But this is maybe a great step because they basically integrate the enemy within the system. And at some point it's going to click. But this is also up to the people who use it and the ways in which they use it. Because yeah. if you get on any centralized exchange and you complete all the KYC forms and go on without any kind of issue thinking that maybe that at some point the data will be hacked and you're going to get exposed like the Binance users have last month. Yeah. But if you do that, then you're using Bitcoin wrong. It should be used if, if you want to exchange for cash, you should meet somebody in person. And this sometimes happens at meetups, which happen locally. Or you can use something like BISC, which is a decentralized exchange. And you install a program on your computer, which is operated through Tor routing, so nobody knows who you are. And you basically interact with people and establish a multi-sig contract, according to which you transfer your Bitcoins or your cash from your bank account, and you do the swap in person. This is peer-to-peer. -peer. Nobody really knows what's going on there. When the money shows up in your bank account, the bank will have no idea where it comes from, and maybe that you'll declare it as revenue when tax season comes. But other than that, nobody can stop it. Nobody can censor it, and that's the whole point. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting what you were just saying about using it uh, correctly um, when I first got into Bitcoin it was just consuming what is Bitcoin and why I should have some I'm two years down the road now and, and I'm really um, thinking of privacy you know and everything you've just discussed you know and making sure that you know you don't just willy-nilly go in and do KYC everywhere and listen I've been guilty of that as well you know, this is all new to me. And it's like, there's not just one thing to learn, is there? There are so many different facets of all of this that you've got to try and get your head around because it is no good thinking in the realms of 
one Bitcoin is $10,000, you got to think in the realms of, well, what happens if one Bitcoin is 100000 or a quarter of a million dollars? You know, that's where we've got to be at as soon as we possibly can, I think, in terms of our privacy and everything that you've just discussed. I mean, same with me. I've, you know, I don't run a full node, but I want to learn how to do that. So that's something that's in my mind as well. So I can contribute to the network and, you know, obviously um, you do my own transactions, verify my own transactions, etc. But for new people watching this, we've also got to be very mindful, haven't we, that you don't scare them off because it's like, and I say this all the time on my shows, it's like um, when the internet, I found a video I was going to try and run, but that fell down from 1984. And you know, it was talking, uh, this, in, this English you know, television company were interviewing this couple that were in their home and they were going to show them how they could send an email and it would reach the television studio. It's like, wow, a big deal. And, you know, but most people were not taking any notice of what was going on development-wise behind the internet, and who would have ever imagined that we would have it on every phone today, on watches today. And I think what I'm trying to say there is the majority of people won't ever get their head around this, but if you if you get into the Bitcoin overlay, I, I, I hear you, it's very important that you start to get your head around all of this is that where you're coming from with what you just said i didn't get the last part but i agree with you in the sense that bitcoin should not be used merely as a speculative asset and it should not be used in centralized forms because it defeats the purpose yeah why would you be using this as opposed to paypal as opposed to venmo to cash app and all these great fintech innovations yeah. Or you can just switch to Ripple because in order for you to get a Ripple wallet, you have to do a KYC. There is no way for you as an individual to remain anonymous while using XRP. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm, I'm getting from this that you're very into using Bitcoin um, for the right reasons in the right way. You know, I, I get that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there is a right reason or a right way, but I can tell which are the wrong reasons. Yeah. So as opposed to KYCing and basically transacting Bitcoin under your real name, there is no use that I can think of that is immoral. Maybe just, you know, doing something which is condemnable by the rest of the society. Okay. Okay. Wow. I've got to be mindful that we don't go too heavy because I don't want to frighten off the viewers. Uh, and, and you don't know this yet, Vlad, but my, um, my wife tunes in, as you found out earlier. Um, my daughter tunes in, my granddaughter tunes in, and they're all trying to learn about Bitcoin. So I have the mickey taken out of me that this is the, 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 bit, the, the Bitcoin for beginners family show. But you know what? I don't care. It's my show. And if I want my family to be on there, that's great but i want my family to get educated on you know bitcoin and how it should be used properly etc etc i mean for me i see bitcoin as changing the world uh, and making it a better place i see bitcoin you know you know when you take something i think it's is it is it um four 
billion people don't have access to basic banking. I don't think it's four billion. That's too big a chunk of the world. But there's a massive chunk of the world, isn't there, that don't have access to just basic banking. And now they've got the ability to have that um, on their phones. That's where I think, you know, yes, speculation's good. Look, you know, there's an element of me that, you know, retirement age, you know, to for my Bitcoin to amass would be very useful to be able to give my kids and grandkids a better future as well. You know, I'm looking at speculation too, but I also clearly get how I can see Bitcoin is it's going to change the world for the better. Uh, are you saying that there are forces that if we're not careful might um, not stop that happening you won't stop bitcoin but um could influence it in the wrong direction is, is that is is there an angle you're coming from with what you said about using it right well let's get this straight i can determine a few ways in which you can use it the wrong way because it defeats the purpose but other than that there is no way for me to tell anyone how they should and they shouldn't use bitcoin because yeah. it's their financial sovereignty. Yeah. They are rational grown-ups and they're not going to, they should not listen to anyone else in regards to what they should be doing with their Bitcoin, with their money, with their lives, anything else. As long as they don't harm somebody else, it's all legit. Okay, cool. Right, well, I'm going to try my desktop now because I'd like to pop some articles up. I don't know what people can see. Hopefully you people can see that. But um, um, can, I, can, can you tell me a little bit about BitPiggies? Um, I'm quite interested in this, Vlad. I, I, I was really interested in the article. But, you know, obviously you did the, um, the article on this. Expand a little bit about it, you know, for the audience. It's a very simple concept, and in order to explain it, I will use the theory of skeuomorphisms, which are basically, in the digital realm, they are the representation of something which is real, so you get the hang of it. Yep. Like in Microsoft Windows, you have the recycle bin, which resembles a real trash bin. And it's the same with skeuomorphisms. That's the whole concept. But with BitPiggies, it reversed the trend, in the sense that you have something which is natively digital, which gets transposed into the real world with a piggy bank. Yep. And this is useful for young children who want to learn about Bitcoin and want to do some savings. And if they are encouraged, they can actually save some Satoshis, which they get maybe if they're good, if they clean their rooms, if they do their homework and they do some kind of chores and yep. they're going to receive some kind of reward. And basically, it's just a piece of plastic, like a piggy made of plastic, which has an open dime. The open dime is a hardware wallet. Yep. And it's as simple as that, really. Okay. So, but, but a really good initiative, nonetheless. I, I picked up on it. I, I, I'm, I'm frightened to scroll in this because I don't know what's going to happen with it. So... Um, does it scroll? Yeah, it does scroll. Yeah, I did notice down here um, the article you said piggy banks have long served as a symbol of financial prudence and savings. So really, that's the ethos of what you're saying, isn't it? You know, educating the children. And if we get them to, you know, ultimately stack sats, even better. Absolutely superb. And, you know, would you say that more and more of this is going to evolve, you know, as we 
as as this moves on and Bitcoin gets more adopted and more institutions start to come in and governments start to stack Bitcoin as well, because you know we're, we're going to get adoption, aren't we? And and hopefully we're going to see more and more initiatives like this. I think that would be really useful. Your take? I definitely believe so. It's in everybody's best interest to have these sorts of products which integrate something which is tangible with something which is natively on the internet. Yep. And it's great, really. It's not expensive. It's easy for anyone to understand the concept. Yep. I mean, I grew up having a piggy bank in which I would put coins, like tangible physical coins. Yep. But if parents scan the QR code and they send Satoshis to their children, then maybe that there will be a change happening in the way that children understand and perceive money. Mm -hmm. And I already see people like the Bitcoin rabbi who wrote a very... Book. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. It's a successful children's book, which starts from real examples of Bitcoiners and presents how they can make a living and coexist in a society which exists and is based on sound money that exists on the internet. Fantastic. So um, tell me then, how did you get into Bitcoin Magazine? And there was something you said, which even I've picked up on, and, and that is, I know CCN was mentioned, and you were saying that you, you wanted to write for you know an online magazine that you know, told, I will not say told the truth, but, you know, delivered the right information to people. And you said a, a lot of them don't. I, I, I get that. When I'm, when I'm doing my shows, um, I'm very, um, I, I explain to my audience that what I'm doing, I'm looking at the news that's out there, but just take a lot of it tongue in cheek, you know, look at the news and then go and do your own research and find out the facts so how do you see Bitcoin Magazine as being, let's say, different to most of them that are out there then, bud? I think Bitcoin Magazine has the highest standards in terms of editing and editorial policy. As whenever I write any article whatsoever, it doesn't matter how urgent it is for the piece to go live. It's going to be read by at least three people who are going to be revising everything from fact-checking to verifying every link to checking the grammar and maybe doing some rephrasing and cutting down on very long sentences. So in this regard, I very much appreciate and esteem everything that they do. And I'm fortunate to be working for them because I used to work for CryptoGlobe, which is actually based in London, England. Yeah. And after that, I went to Crypto Insider, where I was also an editor. Mm -hmm. And I can tell that the editorial policy was a lot looser and the priority was to publish the article as fast as possible to get as many clicks. Yeah. And after that, if there was any mistake, it would get fixed along the way if people reported any kind of mistake. But with Bitcoin Magazine, they really want to get it right the first time and they don't want to gamble on getting facts wrong. And this is something of which I am a part right now. And I'm still learning in this regard because I haven't done journalism to this professional level until two months ago when I joined Bitcoin Magazine. 
Fantastic. And I also was looking at your podcast page. Let me see if I can pop it up there. I also noticed that you said uh, you also wanted to, to be able to you know, have some free speech and you know th this is why you also started your podcast, which I think people should be able to see now. And I would get you guys honestly go over and and check out uh, Vlad's podca podcast. You can see it on the screen uh, right now. Um, I've I've even become a member of the Bitcoin Takeover book, and I think I don't know whether you re didn't realise who it was, Vlad, but I was trying to interact with everything that you've got there because I'm quite impressed with it all. So, tell me a bit about the podcast, then, Vlad. I started podcasting in January this year, mm -hmm. so in 2019, yep. and it was a project which I wanted to do for myself as a way of proving that my work in the field does not rely on one organization for which I might be working. Around the time I took a break from Crypto Insider because my grandmother died and I was very depressed. Mm. And I, I just had that feeling that I should be doing something special, something unique. Yeah. And bring out the experience in a form that maybe might be making a difference. I was having maybe unrealistic expectations about the podcast because in the back of my mind, I was hoping that I would get donations and be able to support it and maybe start my own news website and not be able, not be pressured to rely on whatever sponsors and advertisers were coming out and saying that I should be writing about them. It didn't turn out so well, but I'm still proud of it. And I'm proud of the guests whom I have had. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of good stuff there. I, yeah. Um, Giacomo Zucco, crikey, top guest. I certainly had a look at that earlier on. Um, so, do you know, I remember when I first started my YouTube channel, you know, I was struggling and Adam Meister just said, just keep pushing on, be in motion, be in motion, you know, and I'm going to pass that on to you. Just push on, you know, be in motion. You're in motion. And that's the most important thing, Vlad, because most people are simply not in motion. Um, so, Vlad, as we sort of near to the end of this interview, is there anything that you want to talk about? Now, keep in mind, I'm not an expert. I'm not into tech or analysis. But, you know, anything that you want to discuss to get out there um, on this particular um, live stream? Oh, yes, certainly. Because lately I am researching the idea of the cashless society. Yep. And this whole idea that we should stop using physical money and just make use of our debit cards whenever we make payments. And I stumbled upon this piece of information that in 1971, there was a meeting of researchers and academics, and basically their task was to find the best way to make people give away their information yeah. without being intrusive or without causing any kind of outrage. And the assignment basically started from the premise of you are the most important person in the KGB and you want to monitor whatever everybody's doing within the USSR. And you don't want to listen to phone calls. You don't want to torture anyone. You don't want to do anything that the people will hate, basically. And the answer to this is that you have to create convenience. 
and create the kind of convenience that makes people willingly give away all the information. And when it comes to money, they talk a lot more than us as people because our shopping history can reveal much more information than we are willing to divulge when we speak. And I see this whole trend going on and maybe that it's very popular in countries like Sweden. And now in Romania, there is a presidential candidate who says that we should limit any kind of cash spendings and not allow anyone to spend much more than, I think it's the equivalent of 400 British pounds in cash. So yes. whatever is more expensive than that should be bought through your bank account. And that's terrible. And I think that our children, I mean, my children and your grandchildren <laughs> will be financial slaves for big banks. Yeah. We'll have every way and every mean in the world to censor and to black accounts. And this is very blindsided. It's very foolish of people to trust in banks and basically turn them into this extension of the state because they are giving them political power, which is dangerous. They already have the financial power. Basically, I think that governments will have to give up on power just to allow banks to get stronger and we're going to end up in this dystopian corporate society. And Bitcoin helps in this regard because it allows us to remain anonymous when we transact. Maybe not anonymous, but pseudonymous. And it depends on our degree of concern with privacy. And also, I think that it's healthy for people to meet in person and exchange Bitcoin for cash. Because it's maybe the only way in this world in which you can get the local currency, the local fiat currency with your Bitcoins, in a way that doesn't get registered on any computer, any device that is connected to the internet. So the information cannot be used against you at any point in the future. The problem is, Vlad, you then got to trust that person. You don't know who that person is. That, that's, that, that would be a concern for me, you know, because as the price of Bitcoin goes up, people are going to want it. You know, what, what, is your, what is your defense argument? I don't know what the right word is to the fact that when you're meeting people, you know, you, I mean, we shouldn't ever lose trust. If you lose trust in society, you've got nothing at all have you, really. So I do get that. But isn't there an argument for, you know, doing it, you know, face to face is, is dangerous? I'm not saying that it's not dangerous, but let's give the example of local Bitcoins. And in the early days, it was all about helping people meet in person and sell Bitcoins for cash. And they had a reputation system, just like the one you have with Uber. Because basically, you can think of Uber or Lyft or any ride-sharing service. Yep. And you'll be saying, how can I trust a stranger with my life? Because I get in their car, they can take me anywhere they want, they can murder me, they can do whatever. And why do they not do it? It's because they have a reputation system. They want to have a good reputation to be able to keep on making money. So the incentive for them is to be honest and to try as hard as they can to please the customer because they know they're going to get five stars and if they get five stars they're going to get another customer and another and it's basically a sustainable model to earn an income as opposed to attacking one single person who is wealthy and there is the risk of losing all that 
bounty or whatever they steal from people. Mm. So when I think of trading Bitcoin in person, maybe that there can be some sort of reputation system yes. to ensure that whoever you're meeting in person is well respected within the community. No, that's a fair point. That's a, an idealistic viewpoint, isn't it? You know, something we'd all wish for and hope for. I mean, you made some valid points in there. Yeah, we, you know, with the taxi driver or whoever it is, you know, the hair, hairdresser cuts your hair wrong and then the, the, the credibility is gone, the reputation has gone. So, yeah, there is an argument for that. I get that. So is that your, <clears throat> is that your sort of mission, Vlad? I don't think I, I define that as my mission, but it's something which concerns me right now. Yeah. It's something which makes me think, usually, because there is no clear solution. It's not like 10 years from now, governments will go away and say, oh, Bitcoin is so great that we're going to throw away whatever central banking institutions we have established and currency that we have worked for such a long time to create and just embrace this. It's not going to work like that. They will just maybe integrate it and allow people who own Bitcoin to pay their taxes and make purchases. Because basically that's a way of de-anonymizing. How do you pronounce that? Giving up on your anonymity when you make a purchase. Awesome. Don't know. Can't think. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I can't think. <laughs> But yeah, no, idealistic, and I, I do think, you know, we we will have a, a society where, I mean, I think, you know, that they're fighting it, then they'll join it, so to speak. But I think Bitcoin will, I think we'll still have dollars. I think we'll still have euros and yens. I I, I can't, I don't know, there'll be crises, definitely. But I, I don't have this view that Bitcoin will be the be all and end all, and banks will die. I think they will adapt. You know, I don't know what your view is on that, but I think banks will adapt to Bitcoin. But I don't think Bitcoin, you know, is going to take over the world. I don't. I think to some extent it will be able to take over the free world and it will lead to some kind of organizations which care much more and are much more concerned about fundamental rights. Yeah. And in this direction, maybe that we already see some people who try to establish lobby groups and advocate for this kind of society where some money is the basis and you should not have the kind of have or use the kind of currency that can be inflated and can be manipulated by a central party. Yep. But I don't know what, what's going to happen in the future. It's a miracle that Bitcoin has lasted for 10 years and there was no official state attack. There was no organization of governments which tried to take it down. Yeah. Which is interesting, as opposed to destroying it maybe in the first five years when it was more fragile. They were just curious to see how far it can get. And I suspect that people like Gavin Andreessen might have been agents of the CIA or something yeah. because they were trying to centralize it and it survived that kind of attack. And they basically determined that the best way to take Bitcoin down is at the social level yeah. by trying to instill some kind of ideologies or trying to associate Bitcoin with a certain movement to keep away people who might be getting into it. Yeah, And really, it's just sound money. It's 
digital money only because it cannot be confiscated and it's a great way of ensuring that you'll be holding on to your asset for a long time. That's it. I like to think that Bitcoin is the dream of 16th century pirates, maybe. (laughs) The ones who went to America and built the cities on the East Coast because their money was not accepted anywhere else. Mm. It's basically the kind of currency that every pirate would have wanted because it's universal. It has this system of verification where nobody can deny your transaction. And if a miner refuses to write your transaction into a block, there's going to be a competing one that will accept it. So good luck with censorship. And it cannot be confiscated. That's the main point because gold, I guess, is the kind of investment that makes much more sense. It has a longer history. There was a time in history when currencies were based on gold and you were able to acquire with every bill in your pocket a fixed amount of gold. But we moved away from that. Gold is still valuable. But gold can be confiscated, and that's the drawback. And you can't break it into tiny chunks and carry it across borders either. Um, the, the debate will rage on. Um, Vlad, it's been great having you on the show. Um, thank you for coming on the show. Um, any closing thoughts, anything you want to plug and promote? I mean, once we're, the show's over, if you've got any links, I've got your link to your Twitter, I've got your link to your, your podcast site there. If there's anything else, they'll go in the, the show notes below. But any closing remarks before we end the call? Oh, yeah. If you get into Bitcoin, you should read an article by Michael Goldstein, which is called Everyone's a Scammer. That's a good introduction to helping you understand how everybody is after your Bitcoins and you should be holding on to your financial sovereignty. Other Michael, than that, check out my Michael, podcast. <laughs> Michael Goldstein, Everyone's a Scammer. Is that what you said? Yeah. I should be doing my own research on that. Um, Vlad, thank you so much. It's for- a funny reading. So if you get to it, it's a funny reading if you get to it. Cool. Well, I will definitely, definitely. Um, Thanks for coming on the show. If you can just hold with me a moment while I just finish off with my little promo that I really want to finish off with. Um, Basically, guys, hopefully you can all see this. Uh, I don't know what's happened there. Hang on. Um, You should... No, it hasn't come up. Hold on, people. Let me just change to my desktop here i want to just plug the show sponsors just learn bitcoin.com rocky palumbo's involved with that dan down in mexico you know they've got a great website there people you really should check it out um there's everything on there whether you you know you're looking for wallet setup and backup best long-term storage solutions include including end-of-life planning. Absolutely really important uh, there. Coin splitting airdrops. You know, Rocky Palumbo's, you know, his um, reputation goes before him. You know, there's so many people that have turned to Rocky when they've had problems. You know, anything to do with mining, anything to do with Bitcoin, do head over to justlearnbitcoin.com. I want to plug a button you should click over there, and that is... We have got a campaign running to help return Phil's Bitcoin to him and his family. And for those of you that are not aware of it, um, Phil was a pastor. Um, There's a couple of videos here. Hopefully you can see them. And Phil is very knowledgeable about um, Bitcoin, wallets and everything else. 
but he lost 14.2 Bitcoin to scammers. Um, it's outlined on these two videos, people. So I would go, <coughs> sorry, ask you to go and check those videos out and then maybe make a tiny donation in Bitcoin, Litecoin. I think uh, B-Rhodium is on there as well. If I scroll down, is it on this page? Um, yeah, is it? Is it? Hold on, bear with me, guys. Yeah, there we are. Or you can click and it takes you to Tallycoin where you can make a donation there to Phil. Um, we've connected my wife and I with Phil. He's a lovely, lovely, lovely man. He did not deserve this to happen to him. If you click on the link and read the family story, you'll see what he's done taking in um, children that are unwell or dysfunctional is the wrong word but you know they're not well and he's brought them up and um, he accumulated Bitcoin um, to leave for his daughter after he's gone and scammers took it and they took it if you watch um, one of the videos I think it's the top one there they took it um, and Phil was unaware of it but Rocky goes into it on how it was some kind of DNS or BGP hacking hijacking attack um and to be fair to phil even i would have missed that and ended up losing all my bitcoin so we've got this campaign to try and help phil get some of his bitcoin back so i would ask you to just at least go over there guys check it out um if you click on the wallet um info tab um rocky's also put the wallet address up there for any cryptographers out there that might be able to investigate it hey you never know we might even be able to track the scam again down i don't know but can i ask you to go over there and just at least support him with a tiny little bit of bitcoin and as always, I always love to finish off my shows with a quote. And here's one that I found from the great Marcus Aurelius. It never ceases to amaze me. We all love ourselves more than other people, but care more about their opinions than our own opinions. What an incredible quote to finish the show on, guys. So I'd like to finally thank you, Vlad, again, for being on the call with us tonight. I'm sorry we had the technical issues earlier on. Um, Vlad, if you'd like to sign off and say cheerio to my audience so that your camera comes back, I'll allow you to do that, and then I will end the call. Vlad, thank you so much for being on with us uh, tonight. I really appreciate it. Cheerio. Thank you, everyone. Cheers now. Catch you all on Monday for my regular Bitcoin for Beginners show. We're out of here. Bye-bye. Thanks, lad.